This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I need the word to stand on. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a really good day off yesterday, whatever it is that you were doing. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to answering your Bible questions or life questions, whatever's on your heart. Uh, I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them to us that way. If you're driving in your car, and I don't know about you, but we just got poured on here for a little while. Uh, the streets are wet, so be careful. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, before we go into some questions that have been sent in, while we wait for phone calls, um, a programming note, a reminder, tomorrow uh, we will be having our graduating seniors on. Uh, they'll take questions if you have any questions, but this is the one day a year that we dedicate to those who will be graduating the following night. Um, they get a chance to share Paul and I and Pastor Will, who is the principal of our school, and his beautiful wife, Natasha. We take them out for lunch uh, every year on the Wednesday before graduation, and then we come back, and uh, the kids will be on the program tomorrow, and that that show always is a blessing to me, and I hope it will be to you as well. So that's tomorrow's program. And then, of course, we've got tonight our uh, high school awards banquet. And then on Thursday night will be our our high school, our senior graduation. So we're looking forward to all of that. Okay, let me get to some questions while we're waiting for yours. The first one is a question from Thomas. Um, he says, today I have an observation, a testimony, and two questions. He also told me I could shorten the questions, so that would be okay. Um, he said, shortly after I got saved, God showed off and presented me uh, with a... Uh, let me let me do the question first. I'm sorry, I, I, I skipped. My eyes are playing tricks on me today. Um, he said, have you ever thought about whether or not Adam and Eve would have had belly buttons? Um I don't think about stuff like that, Thomas. And the reason I don't think about stuff like that is because it means absolutely nothing relative to our salvation in Christ. Now, I have an opinion. My opinion is that because God made both of them, there was no umbilical cord, of course. So I think the first person ever born with an umbilical cord and a belly button would be Cain, and then, of course, followed by Abel. But I don't think that Adam and Eve, either one, would have had one because there was God made them from the dirt. He made them from nothing. Now, back to the testimony. He said, shortly after I got saved, God showed off and presented me with a spiritual gift. I'm a truck driver. This happened nearly 30 years ago. I was driving across the California desert in a windstorm. There was sand blowing across the interstate, and visibility was almost nil. Speeds were reduced about 30 miles per hour. And there are only big rigs on the freeway. Now, a side note, I have been on that freeway uh, many times in, in sandstorms so thick and the wind so ferocious that you couldn't see at all. So I understand the, this kind of sandstorm that Thomas is talking about. 
He says, I noticed that the crosswinds were about to flip the truck directly ahead of, ahead of me onto its side. It was then that I remembered the account of Jesus stilling the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. So I, with boldness and confidence, commanded the wind in the name of Jesus to not knock that truck over. The wind didn't let up one bit. However, as I finished my short prayer, that truck, imme- truck immediately sat up straight and drove on down the road without any more problems from the windstorm. I was amazed, and it was then that I settled in my heart. If God said it, and it's written in his word, I believe it. That was also when God told me I was to pray for people, with a special emphasis on people that I don't know. Um, Thomas, let me just comment on that for a moment. You know, I'm never uh, one of those uh, guys who believe that the Bible gives us warrant to command anything. Um, Jesus answered your prayer. And I think praying for somebody that you didn't know, this was Jesus sort of confirming uh, the the calling later that you were to pray for people, but especially people that you didn't know. Um, uh, God appreciates your boldness and confidence. However, we can't command the wind, even if we use the the magic formula in Jesus' name, not to tr- knock the truck over. What we say is simply, Lord, keep them safe. And that's basically what you did, and God answered your prayer. And I think the call to pray for other people, those especially that you didn't know, uh, is significant. And uh, Thomas, because I know you, I know uh, that you have been a man of prayer, and you've been praying for me uh, as well, and I appreciate it. Here's his first question. He said, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, now has a physical body with scars and clothes and stuff. Is he still omnipresent? I know the Father and the Spirit are, but is the Son. Did he sacrifice that for me also when he became a man? Um, Thomas, yes, Jesus is omnipresent. He is fully God. You see, the thing that really causes us difficulty is that he's 100% man and 100% God. Forever the God-man. And that's sort of difficult for us because the physical limitations uh, would seem to indicate that he became constrained by time and space. But remember, Jesus is also the God of very God. And he is present with all of the characteristics, all of the attributes of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And being omnipresent is one of those gifts. I personally believe, and this is just me talking, Thomas, so you can uh, accept it or reject it. Um, But I think that when we hear these testimonies of Jesus appearing to people in um, Islamic countries in particular, but not exclusively, but but places where it's really dangerous to be a Christian, where it can be uh, cost somebody their life to to convert to another religion, um, Jesus appears to those people. And I think those are visions of the risen Lord in his omnipresence. So even if that's not the case, Jesus has no problem appearing anywhere he, he wants to because he is God. He is God. Uh, second question is, he said, something I've been wrestling with for a little over a year. Uh, I know Jesus in his incarnation was perfect in the sense that he was sinless and he lacked nothing spiritually. But I've come to the conclusion that since he was fully human, he wasn't perfect in the sense that he never made a mistake. For example, was the first chair table he made under Joseph's training pristine. And if he was humanly perfect, how could he grow in wisdom and favor and stature with God and men? Thomas, I, and then he says, I love you, Pastor Ron. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Yeah, let me tell you something. I, I, Tom, this is such an insightful question. Um, mistakes are not sins. We know that Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. Um, but I'm sure as he grew, he made mistakes. I'm sure that Jesus miscalculated maybe on the chair that you're talking about or the table that he made. Uh, But there would be other kinds of mistakes, the kind of mistakes kids make. But here's what I can tell you for sure. He never, ever made a mistake that we would understand as sin. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. We've got Jocelyn calling from Live Oak Online 1. Jocelyn, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Happy birthday to you, 
Oh, my crazy family. Thank you, guys, very, very much. This is one of those programs I'm happy that we don't have a TV camera in here because my face is beat red. Thank you, guys. I, I love you. With... Imagine, Pop. <laughs> you, you can't imagine how old I feel. <laughs> it's just a number. We thank God for you, Pops, and thank you for sharing um, God's love through the airwaves and we are just so blessed by you, so thank you. Thank you, guys. I love you with all my heart. Love you, too. Love you, too. Bye, Pop. Bye. Bye. God bless. Oh, well, I guess the secret's out. Today's my birthday. And people keep telling me happy birthday. I say, at my age, it's just birthday. There's nothing happy about it. Somebody else today said... Well, you know, Pastor Ron, you're only as old as you feel. And I said, that's the worst news I've had all year. But seriously, thank you very much, guys. I love you very much. And I'm embarrassed, dutifully so. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from our email inbox from Scott. Uh, Scott says, you mentioned the Jesus Seminar yesterday in your sermon. Uh, It was on Sunday I did. He said, did that group start the Red Letter Christian Movement? Um, no, Scott, come, they're, they're two different things. In, in fact, the Red Letter Movement emphasizes all of the words in red in your Bibles. Uh, what the Red Letter uh, Christian Movement is all about, uh, there are people that say, well, only what Jesus says is really the Word of God. You know, you've got Paul and you've got Peter and the others, and they were, they were just humans, but it's only the red letters that count. So if Jesus didn't say anything, and they'll use homosexuality as an example or other, other doctrinal issues, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. So, well, every word in our Bible, every word in our Bible is written by God. And every word has as much authority and validity as every other word. So whether it's in red or in black, it's not just the red letters that matter. Um, the Jesus Seminar, and I did mention it, Scott, thank you for listening to the, to the Bible study. Um, the, the Jesus Seminar was a group that, that was very active and um, involved when I was uh, a, a new Christian. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the Bible's the Word of God. I didn't know anything. And I, I stumbled across this group called the Jesus Seminar, and they were basically trying to prove that, that what we have reported said by Jesus didn't really occur. And they came with a conclusion, and these were a bunch of liberal scholars, they came to the conclusion that um, only about 13% of what we think Jesus said in the Gospels are things that he really said. And again, they're just trying to doubt. This is the first lie that, that Satan has in, in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? It's a lie that he's been um, telling us from the very beginning, Scott. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas and talk with Penny on line one. Penny, thanks for calling. You're hey. on the air. Hey, Dr. Hey, Dr. Ron, this is Penny. Hi. Happy birthday Hi, to Penny. you. Thank you. <laughs> I was I was hoping I could call in. I'm here at work, but hey, I just wanted to ask you on on Bible study on Friday. You talked about you talk, spoke about essentials and non-essentials of the of the word, and I just wanted to have you elaborate on that for me. And I will listen offline. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. I appreciate it very very much. Um. Friday night's Bible study here at the church was um, um, we were talking about false teachers and um, you know there are things that um, we don't um, really have to um, agree on uh, the non-essentials non-essentials are things like uh, the continuation of the gifts um, some doctrines, you know, uh, you can be a Calvinist and saved. You can be an Arminianist and be saved. You can be somebody in between. There, there are a lot of non-essentials. Now, it doesn't mean they're not important, but they're not essentials to our faith. We're um, to give liberty in those non-essentials. But there are things that we cannot 
disagree on and still call ourselves a Christian. I'll just give you several examples, Penny. One is that uh, in order to come to Jesus, we have to repent and turn from our sins. We have to be willing, according to Jesus, to forgive others. Forgiveness cannot be an option. Those are practical essentials, but they are essentials. Um, God is one. Although he is present in three persons, God is one, and we are to be undivided in our devotion to God and to Jesus Christ. It's that simple. So, you know, when we minister to, for example, Hindus, and they believe in, in multiplied millions of gods, and, and you present Jesus to them, they're often really willing to say, yes, I believe. Sort of like Mars Hill, Paul says, I've come to tell you about the unknown God. But you see, only Jesus. He's not one among many gods. He is the God of all gods. Um, it's an essential that we um, live a life that's fruitful uh, and not fleshy. Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you meet Jesus, those things have to characterize your life. We have to believe in the Trinity. We can't mess with the with the, the fullness of God. We've got to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So those are essentials. I would say another essential penny is that we must be born again. Jesus said it twice in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. We have to believe that Jesus is the, the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. I mentioned that uh, in my answer to Thomas's question. Uh, we also need to believe that Jesus was without sin. If Jesus could have sinned, then he couldn't have died for our sins because he himself wouldn't have been perfect. An essential of our faith is that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith. Nothing that we do can earn our way to heaven. The minute somebody comes along and starts saying that you have to be good, you have to do good, uh, that ceases to be good news. That ceases to be the gospel. Um, so those are the kinds of things. Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, it goes along with him not being able to sin. There's one that I would add, and there are some people, Penny, unexplainably, at least from my perspective, who don't um, think this is an essential, but I, I don't see how it's not. We have to believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ for our sins in our place. So those are the essentials. Whether you speak in tongues or not, or whether you believe tongues are for today, or even if you don't believe that miracles or the sign gifts are for today, those are non-essentials, and people are free to come to their own conclusions. However, on the essentials of our faith, you cannot be a Christian if you don't have the right Jesus. Mormons call Jesus their Savior, but their Jesus isn't God of very God. A Jehovah's Witness religion believes in Jesus, but he's the Archangel Michael. And that's a Jesus they can't save. So, Penny, those are the the essentials of our historic Christian faith. Um, if I believe in a God, but I don't believe in the right one, then I'm not saved. So, Penny, thank you for calling. I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is uh, from our email inbox. It's an anonymous question. Um, he or she says, from what I'm reading about the Pope meeting with leaders of other faiths and their attempt at unifying their efforts, I wonder if this is the start of what we'll eventually know as the one world religion. Uh, Anonymous, I don't think it's a start at all. I think this Pope has sort of kicked it up a notch or two. Uh, but no, I, I think um, uh, liberal professing Christians I've been trying to get along with other religions, and I, I think the whole idea is all roads lead to heaven, and and uh, you know you just have to take your own journey and do it sincerely. 
Um, and, and of course, we know that's not true. And uh, the Pope, who is a false teacher in a false religious system, uh, it shouldn't surprise any of us. It shouldn't surprise any of us that this is the direction that he's headed. So, um, again, I don't think it's start. It's the start. I think it started some time ago. What I do think, Anonymous, is that as we get down the corridor of time and space a little bit, as we get nearer the Lord's return for us, and as I think most of you know, uh, I believe that could happen at any moment. I think the efforts to unify in one world religion are going to be um, um, intensifying in the world that we live in. So I, again, I, I, I'm not surprised by this uh, at all. So Anonymous, thank you for that question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Thomas. He says, Pastor Ryan, how can believers prepare for life in this increasingly hostile world? world rather. Um, uh, Thomas, the same way we've always prepared for life in a hostile world. Jesus, from the very beginning, before the church was actually established in Acts chapter 2, he told his disciples, who would be apostles, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And he prepared them. That's what he did with his teaching. That's what he did with his teaching on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's what he's done as he tries to, to, to grow our faith, strengthen our faith as we walk by him day by day. I think for us, Thomas, uh, who are Christians here in the United States especially, but in the West generally, um, it's really easy to be a Christian. And I think what we're seeing here is the, the Western world become hostile toward us. And I think it's thrown a lot of Christians off. I have said on this radio program, I've said it from my pulpit in the church, that um, uh, I believe that God is using this uh, pandemic to shake out his church. Not to, not, This isn't judgment on the world. But I think this is God simply sort of shaking us out. And he said, let's see who's real and who's not real. And, you know, even the division that we see, it's crazy if you go online. I've stopped looking at all this stuff between those who are professing Christians to say, no, we shouldn't be meeting, we should obey the laws, and we don't, we don't have to get together, we can do this online, and others who say, no, this is our right, this is our command by the Lord. Um, you know, the division there is overwhelming. I cannot understand why anybody who calls themselves a Christian wouldn't think and be 100% supportive of the church meeting for no other reason than we should. Now, I have no problem with somebody who is in a high-risk category and says, you know, I just don't feel safe coming out yet. I have no problem with that, and I think uh, that's only fair. It's the right thing for them to do. I don't want to put anybody in jeopardy, and if people have high-risk categories, it's my birthday today, and believe me, I'm in a high-risk category, but I have to be here. I want to be here. And I can't put my personal safety ahead of my calling from God. And yet I fully understand why somebody wouldn't want to be here or couldn't be here. We've got people in our church that have been here for so many years, and I love them so dearly. And frankly, they're very fragile physically. Some of them older than I am. And what we need to do is is protect them as best that we can. And yet, for the rest of us, we want that same grace because we feel like this is not just a part of our lives, it's essentially who we are in Christ and we need to be together. And so the hostility now, Thomas, is coming from inside the professing church. And I think that's always where the devil does his nastiest work. So in my opinion, uh, Thomas, um, we prepare by being with Jesus, we prepare by really digging in, studying his word, uh, we prepare by walking in the power of the Spirit, thus producing the fruit of the Spirit instead of the bad fruit of the flesh. And I think we are ready, literally, for anything and everything that we come up against, even if we don't think we're ready. Believe me, God has us all being prepared now. We just have to make the decision that we're going to follow Jesus no matter what. And so, Thomas, that's 
my perspective on this for sure. Uh, I believe with all of my heart that if you're hanging with Jesus, you're ready for whatever comes your way. And you're right, it's going to get more difficult. Thank you, Thomas, for the question. We've got 30 minutes left in our program today. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Alex. He says, what is meant by the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? And what must we include in the gospel to be accurate? Uh, Alex, great question. You know, I once uh, did a, a, a sort of an informal survey. Uh, I was actually teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the gospel is laid out for us. Um, um, and I asked the question. To people, can you explain the gospel? And I was devastated at how many Christians, I'm not talking about in my church, but just all around, can you explain what the gospel is? Uh, Jesus died for our sins, and but, they, but they, they didn't really know. Now, let me start with the first part of the question. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What that means is that, that we don't have to defend it, we just have to declare it. There's power in the gospel, supernatural power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we share it, it's like the Holy Spirit's right there, and he's then able to work on the people that are hearing it. And everybody then is accountable before God. So it's the gospel that does the work. It's not the presenter of the gospel. I think sometimes we get into the habit of thinking that that it's our presentation, or there's some people that just are better presenters of the gospel than others, and while that may be true, that's not at all what Paul says. Paul says it's the gospel itself, the good news. And here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ, he left heaven and became a man, Philippians chapter 2. He lived a perfect life without sin. He was crucified. Though innocent, he was murdered. And then on the third day, he rose again. And he did that, that those who would believe would then be saved. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news, Alex. And that's all it is. The gospel, First uh, Corinthians 15, the first three verses, are going to tell you what the gospel is. Just the outline, that's not all of it. But the gospel is good news. And... Uh, if you want to be accurate in your presentation of the gospel, you just include those elements. And then I would add one more thing that's really good news. He's coming back. He promised you we do a song. I can't remember the name of it right now, but we do a song that uh, um, you said you would come back, and you will. And, and I think when we understand that that's the gospel, it is the great news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's go to Cindy calling on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Happy birthday, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Cindy. You know what? I always like it when it's your birthday because it makes me feel a little bit younger because it means <laughs> because I'm it means that I'm not a year and a couple of weeks older than you. I'm just a year older than you. <laughs> you know what Cindy, you know what Paula has been doing? And she'll do it now. Her her birthday's August second. And she will tell me repeatedly, exhaustingly, 
that she's now two years younger than me. And I say, Paul, you're not two years younger than me. And she'll say, look, what's 69 minus 67? And, and, and that just settles it all first. So, so I'm two years younger than you, and she'll tell everybody. So I, I understand where you're coming from. Well, congratulations to Mama Paula. <laughs> I was reading um, Psalm 121 this morning with my coffee, and that's when I usually get my little questions that happen. And in 121, verse 5 and 6, it, it says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And this is my, my uh, thing I wanted to talk about, was the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And I thought that was kind of interesting, so I'm going to leave you with that and, and let you talk about that a minute. And again, I'm so happy that it's your birthday. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, people are more excited about my birthday by far than I am. Uh, Cindy, this is one of the great um, psalms of worship. Uh, acknowledging the power of God. Uh, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And here are the promise: he won't let your foot slip. He watches over you, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And then your verses, the Lord watches over you. And this imagery is so brilliant. Of course, God wrote it. But the imagery... Um, Israel in the in the Exodus wilderness. You're in you're in a, a, a desert, and the one thing you need at the heat of day is shade. And I always think, and this is a, a hearkening back to the presence of God in the Exodus wilderness. Now, it was also true um, um, in different wildernesses, but but this is hearkening back to uh, the, the Exodus wilderness. Uh, where, where by day, um, the Lord appeared in a cloud. And, and as long as the cloud was over them, they would have followed the cloud. Well, in, in a desert, in a hot wilderness place, um, doesn't it make sense that God would provide you with the shade so that the sun wouldn't cook you? And that's exactly what he did. And then um, um, the, the moon by night, you know, people get lost in the dark, especially in, in wildernesses where, where it's pitch dark. Um, there was a pillar of fire by night so they could always see the presence of the Lord. They, they didn't have anything to worry about. Now, the value for us in this Psalm, Cindy, is in verse 7. It says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And you see, when we find ourselves in our own wilderness areas, we find ourselves in the middle of, of, of crises like the one that the world is experiencing right now with this pandemic. We need to know that God's got us. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a, a, a once and for always promise that we're never going to get sick. But it is a promise that he's always going to be watching over us. And one of the things I like to remember, and I hope this helps any of you who are out there who are still really fearful of this virus. We are all of us, when we're with Jesus, we all of us are invincible until we finished our course. That doesn't make a lot of people feel good. I don't, nobody wants to die. I understand that. But our days are already numbered. That doesn't mean God causes our death on a particular day. He just knows when that day is. And I had to go over this. This psalm was comforting to me. Um, Cindy, I had a dentist appointment this morning. See how great my birthday is. But Paul and I started talking, and I, I told her, I said it was three years ago when uh, my heart issues were such, and on my birthday... Um, I had to go into the hospital and the, the surgery was actually the next day. Um, but, but you see, I, I had to know that God was watching over me. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, I'm not done with you yet. So I knew I wasn't going to die. What I had to do is remember that when the devil was screaming at me with lies. And I remember saying, Lord, I lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from? It comes from you. 
the maker of heaven and earth. And these are the things that we need to remember. Now, before moving on to the next question, I want to make sure that nobody misunderstands what I just said. I'm not saying that those who are in high-risk categories ought to just throw caution to the wind and come out. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that those of you who are bound by fear over this thing, you need to listen to the Lord. He's got you. Thank you, Cindy. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Roger on line one. Roger, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I want to respond to something you said a few minutes ago about sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I'd like to hear what you have to say about people who feel called to share specifically the gospel with others, and in particular, Jews who have accepted the Messiah and feel called to share their their beliefs with other Jews, or mm-hmm. other people who maybe, like former Mormons who want to share with Mormons, or former mm-hmm. Muslims who want to share with Muslims. I believe in praying for these people, especially since they feel called to do that. Uh, I've... I would like to know also how you feel about taking classes to share the gospel with anyone and everyone. Thank you. I'll listen to you. Thank you, Roger. That's a wonderful question. I, um, uh, one of my favorite verses to apply, and, and people that come to this church know exactly what it is. It's the sixth verse in that one chapter treasure of Philemon that where Paul prays uh, that Philemon, who is the pastor of the church, he says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And um, I love that verse because it's not just um, um, certain people that we're called to share the gospel with, Roger. We're, we're called to share the gospel with everybody. Now, it's only natural that when we come out of a group, a cult like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, I had a guy here for, for many, many years and moved back east, uh, but, but he came out of a, 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 a Jehovah's Witness home. And when he got saved, he was angry. Everybody was lying to me. They got ripped off. I'm going to make sure no other Jehovah's Witness gets lied to. They're going to hear and, and while um, he was effective at sharing with them, uh, he often, in his anger, would find himself in arguments. Um, Jews who are called to minister to Jews, they are, they understand what tough ground it is. You know, Paul writes to the churches in Corinth that, that for Jews, a veil covers their heart, uh, reminiscent of the veil uh, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And that veil is only torn away when somebody turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jews know that that's a very difficult ministry that they're called to. Um, I often think, in fact, let me, let me say this, Roger, the Apostle Paul was one of those Jews. If Paul had anything resembling an argument with the Lord, it was that Paul really believed in his flesh that Jews would listen to him because of who he was and what he'd experienced. And the Father told him, Jesus told him, nope, you're, you're going to be sent to the Gentiles, but Lord, they'll listen to me. And, and basically, Jesus said, no, they won't. You are my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. All of this to say, Roger, that I am always skeptical when somebody calls and says that uh, I'm called to one particular group of people. I'm a Jew who found Christ. I'm called to Jews. Um, That seems to me to be antithetical to what the Bible teaches. We're called to share our faith with everyone. Now, here's the only problem with teaching classes to share the gospel. Um, We have a tendency, especially in the United States, we formulize everything um, and, and try to make it easy. The Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws and, and, and most people uh, my age anyway are familiar with those things. It's, it's we want chick tracks or something because we want a way to present the gospel step by step in a logical way and lead people to Christ, the way of the Master. Um, Kirk Cameron and, and, and Ray Comfort. Um, uh, Ray Comfort's a friend and, and loves Jesus with all of his heart and I admire what he does. But But we're not called 
to present people the law and then debate with them. We're called to share the gospel with them. And so what we do here at Calvary Chapel, Roger, is simple. Uh, I'm always sharing the gospel. Uh, My church knows that in every message, the gospels will be shared. Those who don't feel comfortable sharing uh, themselves, they can invite people to church because they know I'm going to do it. And then as they watch me do it over and over and over, they learn. And then what God is going to do is he's going to encourage them to sort of step out by faith and do it on their own. Because God wants a chance to bless them. So, again, I understand the, the logic of, well, Mormons, let's ex-Mormons, let's send them to Mormons. Uh, prophet has no honor in his hometown. It's a tough, tough gig. Um, and, and every group that says, no, our ministry is to reach out to this one group, I think they're misunderstanding. I think it's something that they want to do. I think it's a good desire. But I don't believe it's a call from God. Because we're supposed to proclaim the gospel to every living creature. The parable of the sower is the only real, effective way to train people to share their faith. Just get seed, the word of God, and scatter it everywhere we go. And don't worry about what kind of heart it falls on. So, Roger, what a great question that is. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that. And thank you for being concerned about people who don't yet know the Lord, especially in these last days. Great question. Let's go to Ruben, our friend from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling and holding. You're on the line. Hi. God bless you, sir. I pray that everything is well. Uh, I have so many questions. I've been in the Word for uh, the past two weeks and reading Ecclesiastes and just things that I feel the Lord has has led me to, but I'm going to take one thing at a time. Um, so obviously I'm not going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, but first of all, uh, I want to thank everyone who prayed for me and who has been praying for me over the years that I've been calling. And, uh, in regards to this last surgery that I had, I'm still recovering and I just want to ask everyone to still keep me in prayer. Um, I'm still having pain in my abdomen. Uh, doctor says the insides are still healing. So just need some time to heal that uh, since I did have uh, four major surgeries in the span of five mm-hmm. days um, wow. so I'm asking for prayer for that uh, that God will heal me and that that his healing hand will just uh, be over be over me and um, I have actually a question for you that um, um, I'm dealing with a problem with my family uh, they have um, stopped talking to me, uh, my brothers and my sisters, and uh, it has affected me uh, quite dramatically. I mean, quite. It impacts. It has impacted my life tremendously uh, to where the point to where I cry, but I have to stop that. And my question is: this, um, what is your suggestion, or how do I pray to God? What do I say to him? Like, I don't know what to say. I, I, I love them, and I wish them no harm. I pray that God bless them, but I don't want to care. How can I put this? I don't want to care, you know, because I can't change the way they feel about me. So yeah, I don't know what to I, say. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying, but let me ask a question very, very quickly. Um, are are they not talking to you because of your faith in Christ and because you're sharing Jesus with them? It's I don't know what it is to be honest. I don't know. It, it's it's a couple of months before the the year ended. They just they just all stopped talking to me because of an incident that happened. Okay. Two things, and I think I hope this will help. First of all, thank you for the report on your surgery and how you're doing. We were worried about you because we hadn't heard for a little bit. Um, You need to remember that we always, always have you in our hearts, so um, don't keep us strung out for long periods of time. Um, The the most important thing I want to say about your situation and family is is never get to that place where you say you don't want to care. Um, Having your family members be in heaven with you forever 
ought to be the most important thing in your life, and it ought to break your heart just as it breaks the Lord's heart that they're not believers. So never, ever say, I don't want to care. What you want to communicate, I'm sure, is I don't want to hurt. This hurts. So here's what you do, Reuben. You turn that pain into prayers. Effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James says. Uh, He talks about uh, praying like Elijah did. Elijah was one of those guys, very emotional, sometimes, Reuben, just like you are. And yet he prayed honestly and cried out from a heart that belonged to God. So turn your inward pain outward so that your pain, and and you'll be sharing the pain of the Lord, that your pain then will be a a, a prayer for their lost soul. And so, so don't ever harden your heart. Don't ever get to that place where you don't want to care anymore just because it hurts. Because when we get to that place, um, we're, we're actually focusing on ourselves in our prayer. And, and basically we're saying, Lord, I, I don't want to hurt like you hurt. Jesus, you remember, wept when he looked out over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly at the tomb of Lazarus. And the reason he wept is because his heart broke. And your heart needs to break for your family, Reuben, rather than your heart breaking for you. And I know how painful that is. I know how difficult it is. I know how unfair it seems. But here's the thing that I've found over and over throughout the years. God will ask those of us who belong to him to endure something unfair just so that he might win others. He did that with his own son. He did that with Paul. He did that with Peter. Peter, a day's going to come when you're going to uh, not going to be free to go where you want to go. You're going to be stretched out, indicating the kind of... Di- and, and John will cry, what about him? And Jesus basically said, it's not any of your business about him. So just focus on turning that inner, inner pain into upward prayer. And get to the place where you're crying to the Lord, not for you, not for the pain you feel because of their rejection, but you're crying for the pain that God feels because they're rejecting Him. And I would say one other thing, don't take it personal, even if they've got all kinds of other reasons, um, Reuben. The truth is they see a light in you that they don't want anything to do with, and it makes unbelievers uncomfortable. It makes unbelievers uncomfortable to be around the light. So you hang in there, and we'll be praying for you. And I would ask the the audience uh, as well to keep Reuben in your prayers. Uh, It is almost impossible to describe even, let alone understand, the the difficulty of the last three or four years uh, of of five years of Reuben's life. Um, And so keep Reuben on your everyday prayer list if you can remember write it down um, Reuben's a man with a heart for God he's got a lot of gifts uh, and he's just been sort of stuck uh, in this physical place for a long long time don't let the enemy Reuben use your pain at what others are doing to you um, the way he has used in the past your physical pain um, to try to pull you away from the Lord you fought that battle and won So uh, keep fighting the good fight. Ruben, thank you very, very much, and thanks for calling us. I think maybe I have time for one more question in the program today. Uh, Priscilla says, uh, Pastor, I'm concerned about the rejection of biblical roles for women and the connection it has to accepting the LGBTQ agenda. Your thoughts? Um, Priscilla, I think sometimes that's an excuse, and I like this question so much I may hold it over uh, for the program on Friday as well. Um, um, you know, unbelievers look at, well, women can't be pastors. See, it's sexism, it's racial prejudice, all kinds of things. Um, that's not really the reason people are rejecting Jesus. The reason they're rejecting Jesus is because they don't want to stop sinning. So if somebody wants to sin, they're going to find reasons. They're going to rationalize doing it, and that's all it is. And um, um, I think as believers, we need to remember to always let our light shine. 
that's really the only thing we're called to do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And then if you'll take my counsel from earlier, we'll, we'll simply declare the gospel. We'll, we'll turn it loose on people. And let the Holy Spirit work on those who reject him. Then we won't take it personally. We, we won't worry about bigger issues. The truth is, everything, Priscilla, boils down to one thing. The person you're talking to who is or isn't saved and their need for Jesus Christ. If you're talking to a Christian, we need to walk with Jesus. And when we get a chance to talk to people that, well, they say they're Christian, but they don't look like it, we need to remind that they need to walk with Jesus, walk in the light. But for unbelievers, we just need to realize that we've got hope to give them. And if we'll provide hope for them, then the Holy Spirit will bring those who are appointed unto salvation. And anybody who wants to know if you're appointed unto salvation, all you got to do is say yes to Jesus Christ. Remember, he died. He didn't stay dead. He died for you. And all you have to do is believe and receive. Hey, another reminder, tomorrow we'll have our graduating seniors on the program. I'm excited for the program. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.